Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest, Mrs. Melissa Wicker. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about you before we jump into the meat and potatoes of why we're here? Sure. So my name is Melissa. I um, am a mom of two, uh, a 21-year-old and a Mm 9-year-old. Uh, I am originally from ex-Yugoslavia, from Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, I came to this country as a refugee 22 years ago, and I have spent most of my career in retail, um, and most recently transitioned to property management. So, Awesome. So before we go into your journey, which I know a little bit of, that we have spoken about, which is why you're here and I feel is um, very important to share. Let's go into my icebreaker round. So what is your favorite book or one that you'd like to recommend? So, you know, it's funny, I, uh, I'm actually an avid reader, so we could be here probably, you know, for six <laughs> hours talking about books. But the book I'm currently reading uh, that I've been wanting to read for a year is Indra Nui's book, my life in full. So if you don't know who Indra Nui is, she is the legendary CEO of PepsiCo. Oh. Um, and so That's her- the Indian woman, correct? Yes, mm-hmm. correct. And her book is very much about, I think, aligned with sort of what we're gonna be discussing here today. Yeah. Career woman, motherhood, uh, immigration, oh, wow. all of those things. And she is just amazing. I followed her career for a long time. And when I saw she wrote a book, I'm like, I gotta read it. And then you get busy and you know, whatever. So I'm finally reading it now and I love it. So wasn't she the one that it came, um, that she made a thing that she never asked for a raise? Right. Wasn't yes. she the one that she wrote? And I mean, there was more context behind it, but I remember it being a thing. Yes. Because she, she didn't. And I, that was like in the court, that was like a thing. So, okay. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. What are the values that guide you and your family? Uh, so, you know, I grew up with, um, in a society that was very uh, male oriented, driven by men, but it was also mothers were sort of, um, like the sacred thing, so very um, matriarch type society. Uh, so when I think about that, I think about my grandmother, like that's the first thing when you asked me that, that came to my mind. And um, the one thing she thought us all was respect. Uh, and so I tried to teach that to my kids. And having had the journey I've had, where you know, I've been a refugee, I've been a janitor, I've been a vice president, um, you treat people for people. And so that's what I tried to teach my kids. Like it doesn't really matter like the status of the person or sure. where they're from, but really just treat everybody with respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you never really know how life is going to play out, right? And who you may come across again at some point in your life. And they will remember the way you treated them. Somebody said, like, people don't remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. I know yep. some famous person that said that. Uh, but that's sort of what we live with. Um, hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of what I was raised with. I tried to instill it in my kids. Uh, nothing comes for free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're in a society where I think kids see that. YouTubers and 
children that are eight years old making millions opening toys on YouTube and um, you know and that's that's great um, not you know nothing against that but that's a very lucky few right the rest of us have to get to work <laughs> and get an education so that's kind of the three things and get an education work hard and treat everybody with respect I would kind of say is like my major sure. three and it's it's interesting because I was listening to are you familiar with Gary V Yes, he's, he's, he's a motivational speaker, Correct. He's a major entrepreneur. Yes. Okay, yeah. I've known him about him for years, and the reason why this ties into that because he's really big on hard work, but he's also comes from an Im immigrant family, I believe, from Russia. Um, yes, and his story is very compelling. He was like, "Look, we came from nothing. We opened up this." So you know, he's like, "Nothing is given to you," but he's spoken about that of how the immigrant experience. He's like, "I didn't have the. We couldn't complain." He's like, we like, no, what do you mean? We, we could go back here and you could really have something to complain about. Right. Of course, in hindsight, you know, he was like, I see that there has to be some limits and you have, it's okay for you to not maybe, not complaining is the right word, but it's okay to be like, well, I'm not happy with this or this, of course. He's like, but that drive, he's like, there's something with the immigrant experience that says that. So it's interesting that hard work, because a lot of the women that I've interviewed, hard work hasn't been, and I don't know, maybe they have been immigrants or not, but because I know your story, yeah, it's I, 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 I find it so intriguing that that was something that you mentioned. And I'm sure because of your story, it's something that has fueled you. Yeah, sure. you know, yeah. I met a boss. I've had a lot of bosses over the years. And, you know, this particular person was a great boss. Uh, and she said to me, and we were talking about um, uh, some hardship I was experiencing at work and kind of coming up with a strategy. And she said, you know, she looked at me, she said, you can take a lot. She's like, I have never met anybody who can take so much and still keep moving. And I think that comes from that experience where you almost develop like that, you know, thick skin and the grit. Um, there's another book out there by Angela Duckworth that talks about grit mm. and how some people succeed. Mm -hmm. And I think it starts, the opening chapter is about how many people enroll in Marines mm. and how many people actually graduate the course. And it's like the graduation percentage is very small. Yeah. People fall off. And so then it, it goes into like studying, like what the grit is all about. Are you born with it? Are you, yeah. Do you develop it? And I, I, a lot of immigrants I've met have that grit, like that toughness and that, you know. Survival, right? It's like you have no Survi choice. Basic survival skills, I think. Because what's the what's the alternative, right? Um, yeah. But it's also interesting because my husband and I find, and I, I, this is, I'm great that we're talking about this now because I think it's still leading up to your whole experience of when you came here. But my husband and I have this thing because we were both born in New York. He was raised in Brooklyn, but I left the Bronx when I was four. We left the Bronx because in the 80s, crack epidemic was big. And my grandmother was like, I am not raising my mm -hmm. grandchildren here. So we moved. But although I moved and Florida is definitely more laissez-faire than New York, mm -hmm. I still have culturally the grit of being from New York City, right? I don't know if from it's the from Bronx. Some, from the Bronx. Thank you <laughs> not for that. Just exactly, New York City. Not, exactly. Not even just from New York City, from the Bronx. Like it's just something. So my husband and I talk about that because him actually being raised in Brooklyn until he was 16 and moving down, we always talk how like a lot of his friends from Brooklyn, they're highly successful, mm -hmm. you know? where some of the people we know in South Florida kind of have the laissez-faire attitude. Mm -hmm. And not that they're not successful. 
but they might still be living at home, even though they're older, like all these different elements. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, because it's New York, like you, you, we had to survive. Like we were living on the block and we were like, no, we need to succumb yeah. to this. He's like, when you come to Florida, this is the, where else do you go from here? Florida is the place you want to go to. So it's interesting because you're saying the immigrant experience, but I've also felt that in being from New York City, from the Bronx, which is the gutter, mm. arguably, um, but my father instilling the work ethic, the grit, since I'm very young, for me hearing conversations mm -hmm. that stuck with me. So I think it's also United States wise of how that affects. And we talk about how do we pass down our hard work and grit to our son who's now being raised in sunny South Florida, yeah. you know? And to your point, it's like, wait a minute, this kid is eight making millions on YouTube, which is great because yes, we're a capitalist society, but then how does that happen? So there's so many different elements there. Yes. Um, yes. And how it trickles down to now in motherhood of being like, okay, we, we want to give our son everything. And I know we've talked about this. So we'll, we'll, we'll go into it because we we'll can. get into it. Yes. Um, <laughs> how has motherhood transformed you? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I think everybody's motherhood experience is maybe different, but also same in some ways. They, you know, I never had like any big revelation. You know, people talk about like, oh, my gosh, I looked in the baby's eyes and I was transformed. I never really had that, you know? And that in itself is sometimes hard to say because you feel like you have to compete with other women for this motherhood experience yeah. and what it meant to you. Sure. And, you know, my mom always makes fun of me. She's like, you're not really maternal. I'm like, I don't know that I'm not really maternal, but I just never, like, it took me time, yeah. you know? But I think what it did for me, it put my character to test. And I feel like any adversity, right? And I think motherhood can be an adversity because you're thrown into this experience that there's no textbook on. Sure. Well, there's books out there, but let's be honest, they don't prepare you. For sure. <laughs> and, you know, you're trying to figure things out. Yeah. And I think that, you know, from that perspective alone, um, for me, it was more of like my personality got put to test. And going back to that grit mm -hmm. and that I'm going to figure this out. And, you know, I think it brought out in me everything that's good but also some bad things like i discovered i was very impatient mm. and i still don't know if that's a vice or a virtue mm -hmm. <laughs> in business it's turned out to be a virtue uh maybe but you know like the i had to learn things about myself that i if i hadn't had children i would have probably never really dug into so to speak sure i had to learn quickly like impatience being one of them uh, but I also learned that I'm a darn tiger, like don't mess with me, yeah. which I didn't know I had that in me before until my children came along. I was very kind of like meek and not very outspoken. Yeah. And people that haven't seen me, you know, my life story, I have people in my life that haven't seen me in 20, 25 years, cousins, family, and I go back and they're like, who are you? And, you know, I don't know if it's coupled with that uh, refugee experience. Sure. Uh, where I've lived in five different countries and, you know, had crazy experiences or the motherhood or combination of both. But like, I became very outspoken. Like I knew that, you know, not only do I have to speak up for myself, but I have to speak up for this child. I cannot speak or talk or do anything for sure. itself. And, you know, if I want to get ahead and, you know, when I had my son, I was in a very different socioeconomic situation than I was when I had my daughter 12 years later. And, you know, so I had to fight for things. I had to, like, every every seat at the table I had to carve out for myself. And I knew that if I was to provide for this child, I had to speak up. And so I became very outspoken. And 
to some people may even intimidating uh, because I speak my mind and I say it as I see it and I don't sugarcoat it. But, sure. you know, so that's one of the things that was brought out in me through motherhood that I did not know I had and never, never really used that sure. skill before. Um, so, And it's <clears throat> interesting that you say that. And I love it because I love how you framed it and said maybe negative things that you didn't realize that you had and it's so true and I think impatience a lot of mothers can relate to that because we do it's like this impatience it's low tolerance mm -hmm. um you know and we're always because we're always on the go and everything's got to be this so you know we have more um outbursts and and the overwhelm and all of that um and I don't think to your point it's true you know we have so many books to read about this and that but until you're in it you don't know especially because every child is different mm -hmm. I know women that I mean I read but I really didn't read as much um that um, a lot of my friends <clears throat> that read books after books after books and they were like not none of those books was my child he never slept he never did this he never did this so i'm like it, it it's it's amazing that yes when we have a child how um our traumas come out mm -hmm. you know things that aren't healed internally that we think didn't bother us or did the triggers come out um it takes a village to raise a child and to uplift a mother who who and what has been a part of your motherhood village throughout your life Oh, gosh, uh, there's been a lot of people. And it's funny, you know, when I think about my journey, uh, having lived in different countries and having lived here, and I had both my kids here, and not having my family, and, you know, like, who were those people? And, you know, I really kind of have to think about that. But uh, there was a lot of people. Uh, two people that come to mind that stand out um, are my ex-husband's grandmother, who is just the kindest person. Uh, I still think she's probably the best woman I've ever met in my life. She's just an amazing human being. Um, through different circumstances, she came to live with us. And it wasn't until my son was a toddler, I would say probably like three or four. Mm -hmm. And she lived with us for, I want to say four or five years. But it was so funny. Like, you know, these things happen for a reason. She came to live with us when my career with Macy's took off. And it became very demanding on my time. And this woman stepped into my house, ran my household for me for four or five years, took care of my son, her grandson's great-grandson, right? Um, like, probably better than I could have ever. Um, I, she cooked, she cleaned, she, you know, uh, we never paid her. I think if we offered her money, she would have been offended. Um, it was a pride on her side to help us and to be there for us. Uh, and again, it was just such a timely thing. You know, if it was two years before that, I don't think it would have made such an impact or maybe two years after that wouldn't have had sure. such an impact. But that period of time was so important to me because I was gone from like seven o'clock in the morning, seven, eight, nine at night. And I didn't have to worry about a thing. I was just going to say, home. imagine what that yeah. does for your well-being, your mental well-being that I'm sure when you look back, you're like, I never worried. Never at worried. All. Wow. Never. Um, yeah. And I think the other person was, uh, this is kind of a really funny story, and I love this person. When my daughter came along, um, I worked at Bernice at the time, before she was born, and this person worked for me. Mm -hmm. And she was in her late 50s, early 60s. She was a hoot. I loved her. And I actually had, her job was cut, and I had to sit in front of her and tell her, you don't have a job after 27 years, right? Uh, but we became friends. Uh, even though she was my, you know, she worked for me, mm -hmm. 
um, it was her wisdom and her, you know, she's been through a lot of similar things I've been through. We became friends, we became really close. And so, of course, the irony of it that I had to sit in front of her and tell this woman, you don't have a job in your last day is whatever, right? It was heartbreaking for right. me and her. But before all of that, she always told me, um, I was going through a divorce from my first husband and everything, and she said, you're going to get remarried again. I said, I'm never getting married again. I'm swearing off, man. And she's like, you will, and you'll have a baby, and I'll watch your baby. And I thought, like, oh, my gosh, like, this woman is crazy, right? Well, five years later... I'm knocking at her door, pregnant, and I'm like, do you want to watch my baby? And she's like, I promised I would, and I would. And sure enough, um, I went back to work eight weeks after Layla was born because wow. it was Black Friday, and I had to go stack out toaster ovens. And she, uh, I literally handed her this baby. My daughter was not premature, but very small when she was born. And this baby was like a Coke bottle, like a two liter Coke bottle size. And I handed her this baby and drove to Daytona from Orlando crying the whole way because I had to leave her. But can I tell you, I came back that night and my baby was fed, baited, uh, smelled fresh. Can I just say, like, she? Uh, sometimes we didn't agree on some things. She watched Layla for 18 months, and I remember when Layla got, like, one tooth, I think, and she said, you know, I walked in, and she's eating a tamale. And I'm like, I don't really think she'd be eating a tamale at six months. I was like, shut up. You modern women feed your kids, blah, blah, blah. This is what my kids grew up on. They're just fine. I'm like, okay. And sure enough, like, this baby thrived in her care. She took such good care of her, and Again, you know, took away that stress of me having a really high-powered job, commuting an hour and a half each way every day. And she ne- I picked up their child at 9 p.m. sometimes. And she had her from 7 a.m. to 9 wow. p.m., 8 p.m. And she never said a thing to me. Wow, never, com- never nothing. Never complained, never said you should pay me more, even though I did. But she never asked for anything. She was happy to do it. Till today's day, like she's part of my family. I call her my adopted mom. I said, I don't know if you wanted to adopt me, but you have adopted me. And now you have, like, I know she has like seven kids. I think you have eight now. But, you know, we still like talk to her all the time. I call her like I call my mom. Like, you know, every couple of days we talk. But I think it goes back to your initial point when you said one of your values is respect. So obviously, yeah, you, 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 um, you developed a friendship with this woman, but the respect that she had to have for you that even though you had to terminate her position, her employment, um, she still respected you enough because that could have ended your friendship. That could have ended, you know, I have a, you have a lot of work friends, right? Right. We have that, you you develop, but then a lot of times people leave and that's that's it. it. You know, you've had, you shared this moment, but it's gone. So I think it goes back to your value and how the respect is there and to your initial point of showing you never know how you treat someone, how they're going to feel and how full circle moment you might need that. And look, you know, of her watching your child, your, you know, most prized thing that you have. Yep. Um, and now I'm sure having your daughter was different than when you had your son. And yeah, you're different. You know, it's all so many different emotions, but you had nothing to worry about. So I, I love that um, that full circle moment and how, yeah, I think a lot of times we think our village has to be our parents siblings but it can be whoever and whatever you make of it and sometimes it is more than family yep you know for for whatever reason okay so you do have such an intriguing powerful story you came to the U.S. as a refugee of war in 1999 talk to me about that time what was that journey like and then confirm were you or were you not pregnant because I remember us talking so I did not, I was not pregnant when I okay. came here, okay. uh, but I got pregnant shortly after that. So okay. we came here, we came in May and I got pregnant in December. Wow. 
So it was a very short period of time. So talk about that journey. Talk about that of of coming, because speak on that immigrant experience and maybe some misconceptions there. And then we'll dive into how was it being a new mother Mm -hmm. in a completely new space? I'm sure not knowing English, maybe very little. I did not speak any English. How are you going to survive? Talk about that. All right. So the journey really started. I was in Germany. uh, many, many uh, I was in Croatia, I was in Czechoslovakia, I ended up in Germany, I got my education there. Um, and I knew once my education was done, that I would have to go somewhere in, you know, Germany's, which rightfully so, you know, the war was over, sure. position was like, go back to your country. Well, you know, I, there was nothing to go back to. So my ex-husband and I um, kind of started this paperwork for immigration to the United States. At the time, United States, Canada and Australia were taking Bosnian refugees. And that was sort of like an MSA type movement of people, many people in a very short period of time. So um, we chose the United States because his mom had come here prior, like a year prior. So at least sure. we thought, you know what, we know somebody, it will be a little bit easier. That process took two years. Many trips to Frankfurt to the American embassy where we were interviewed for hours. Um, which, you know, I understand, um, a lot of paperwork, a lot of, uh, you know, fingerprinting, uh, health exams, and they're just interviews, um, with immigration officers, who are you, where are you from? They ask you same question, 17 different ways to make sure, you know, you're being truthful, whatever. So, you know, all fine. We get here and, uh, we get on the plane. It was my first time on the plane, my first time away from my parents, uh, going to a country. It's really kind of crazy when I look back at that, yeah. honestly. But again, necessity, you didn't have, like there was no other option. Correct. You can only plow ahead. Like that was it. And so, you know, we got on the plane, him and I, we were 21 years old. Uh, we each had 200 bucks in our pocket, a suitcase to our name and landed in Miami. Like, okay, here we are. And there's right? no resources. There's nothing. There's nothing. So uh, at the time, EOM, uh, the immigration, I forget what they're called now, but they were called the OM. Um, I only know because I found the bag of the paperwork oh. they gave me <laughs> the other day when I was moving. And I'm oh, like, oh, wow. I remember this slogan. I'm like, oh, it's the OM, the immigration, whatever they were called at the time, organization. And so, um, you know, they met us. Uh, the plane had several different, you know, people mm-hmm. from my country, um, all kind of immigrating. So the paperwork was uh, pretty tedious. We were there for like, I think, six or seven hours waiting for paperwork to be filled out. And then we were put on a plane to Orlando, which is where his mom was and got picked up from the airport. And I remember distinctly getting out of the airplane and the heat hitting me was May. And it wasn't even that hot, right? We know that now, I didn't know it then. Coming from Germany, I left, I think it was like 45 degrees and getting out of that plane, which was really for the first time I was outside because in Miami, we were indoor the whole time and on the tarmac, getting off the plane and kind of like thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna rip my skin off. What did I do? Where am I? What is this place? Um, and so, you know, from that moment on, Catholic Charities was our sponsor. Um, and so basically you sign an affidavit that they pay your ticket, you pay that money back. So there's a lot of misconception out there that people come here and sort of freeload. And that is really, at least not in my experience, I sh- I'm not speaking, you know, I don't want this sure. to be a political thing. I'm certainly Absolutely. not speaking for all refugees. I don't know their experience, but my experience was, you know, I had, I signed this promissory note of the affidavit that I'm going to pay this money back as soon as I find a job. 
So sure enough, we paid this in installments, paid it back to Catholic Charities, and it's sort of paying it forward, right? They're helping other people. Sure. Um, they gave us a person who also happened to be from my country, which was helpful because we didn't speak the language, that helped us apply for uh, Social Security, all the paperwork, right? Uh, we had a week, I think five days, until all of the paperwork came, and then we started working. Um, and my first job was at a candle factory. They made candles for SeaWorld. Uh, so like melting wax. Yeah. And at this point, it's like, you know, end of May or whatever, uh, beginning of June, and I didn't have a car. So, you know, walking, I think I walked like five or six miles every day wow. to work. And then, you know, working 12 hours, melting wax, pouring it. You know, mind you, I have a newly minted psychology degree. But, you know, uh, it's interesting, like that experience of like, and I've seen it happen to me and I've seen it happen to other people. Highly educated people come here from other countries and are treated like they're less than because... I don't know. I don't know what the perception I'm is. I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> I know, and that's a big, that I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there is a big, big misconception. I think largely it's because when you hear or you think someone who's not speaking English that automatically are not intelligent enough or I, guess, I, don't, yeah. I, I don't know um but there are and you understanding that experience of having to come i'm sure knowing you put in the time the work the degree and then you have to come be a candle maker or as you said a janitor and all of that i know people mm -hmm. that have been doctors yeah. lawyers and now they're like i don't i don't even know and not that there's anything wrong being a candle maker or a janitor but just the ideology that the misconception that if you see someone doing that that you don't think that they're educated or you don't know what their backstory is so absolutely. i'm glad you mentioned that absolutely. okay so you're here you're doing that what is your age around this time if you don't mind? so i'm 21. oh wow i had okay. just turned 21. <clears throat> no actually no i hadn't so we came here in may i turned 21 in june Okay. So then I went to the store and, you know, just all these different cultural things. I've been buying beer from my father since I was like three years old. It's like run down to the corner store and get me a beer. And then <laughs> you like, you know, mm -hmm. so I go to the store and I turns out I can't buy, I think, a bottle of wine I wanted to buy. And they're like, let me see your ID. So I show them my ID and they're like, they looked at me kind of like I was crazy. And they're like, but you're not 21. I'm like, why does that matter? And they're like, well, you can't, I'm like, oh, you know, so it's just kind of like, you know, those little things, the cultural things, you know, it was a huge embarrassment for me. I'm holding up the line. I have no idea, but, you sure. know, and then of course we can't really communicate. Took me a moment to kind of catch on to what's happening. So, um, yeah, so I was uh, barely, wow. a month shy of 21. Um, and so, you know, we're doing this thing and I was working for minimum wage, which I think was $5 to 15 cents at the time. Uh, I remember, I vividly remember my check being $180 after taxes wow. and everything, right, every week. And so then we got, I think we were with his mom for like a month, and then we got our own apartment, awesome. uh, which was like 625 bucks, uh, which to us was so much money, so much money. Um, and, uh, you know, he was working, he had $8 an hour, he was working as a carpent in a carpentry industry. Which, and what was his job uh, back in? Um, he, uh, graphic design. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's a carpenter um, pouring wax for candles. And, you know, it was, it was definitely an uh, experience that I will never forget. Um, talk about, um, before you talk about going into being pregnant during this time of like transitioning and kind of your thoughts of what, you know, did you ever have moments that you were like, okay, we have to go back or let's leave somewhere. I'll talk about that yes. and then how it impacted your marriage. Yeah. Or if it, I would imagine it Absolutely. had to have. Like, well, we ended up getting that. divorced. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, was that, that was a big plan. It was a big part of that. Yeah. yeah. So I think as far as, um, you know, coming here, um, 
uh, it, it puts so much strain on your relationship, you know. And we we have known each other since we're, we were 14. Wow. We met in a refugee camp in Czechoslovakia. Wow. And so, you know, this is a person that's been through everything with me. And it's funny, like, you think that, and we have a bond and had a bond and still have a bond, even though we got divorced, that, you know, only the two of us know certain things Percent. about each other, you know, what we've been through and things like that. Um, and that creates a certain bond. But, like, at some point, there just wasn't enough. Like, there was so much strain on that relationship. Um, you know, from the moment we got here and from the moment I got here, I'm like, I got to go back. You know, and I'm like, he's like, no, like, let's hang in there. Like, you know, that's just, I'm sure everybody feels that. I'm like, no, I am going to work here for three months. And then I am going to go back. I'm going to collect enough money to go back, right? You were done. I'm done. Yeah. Like, I was done, but I had no money to go back, right? So even if I wanted to, like, I had no money, sure. right? So I'm like, I have to work for a while. I'll save some money. And then I'll fly back. Like, I'm done. And then I'm thinking, where, where am I going to fly back? Like, let's go back to Germany. They're not going to take me back. I have to go back to Bosnia, right? So I, that really planned, like that plan didn't work out. Because like after I thought through it, I was like, that's not going to work out. <laughs> so I ended up staying here and then, you know, got pregnant um, six months later. Uh, and that was really, again, due to not necessarily planned, um, not unwelcome, but not planned. You know, I would have maybe liked to wait a year or two just to get a little bit more established. Yeah. But, you know, we were married, we wanted a child, so that was not a question. But, you know, it was really difficult because, again, you know, the resources were not there. And then, you know, here I am pregnant, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, what are we doing, you know? Yeah. And uh, through circumstances, like when that caseworker from Catholic Charities found out I was pregnant, she's like, man, we got to get you out of that. Like, that candle pouring business was hot it was like 104 105 degrees oh, wow. in that warehouse had no ac yeah um you know and then there's like these hot cattles that sure. are it was miserable yeah i had lost 40 pounds that i really didn't have yeah, to you're walking from right the, from the, yeah yeah and so she's like this is not healthy like we gotta get you out of here so the apartment complex that i worked in had a janitorial position open and i was so excited because i got eight bucks an hour and I was cleaning apartments after people moved out or were evicted in which some cases. Which is better than in a hot walk. Which was so much better. Plus, I could just walk out because I lived in that apartment complex. I walked out and I was at work. It was perfect. Um, the best part was the health insurance. Mm -hmm. Health insurance was amazing. Um, and so, anyways, I'm pregnant and, you know, um, we have our son. And, you know, I'll tell you, like, from, I gained so much weight. Like, I did not take care of myself. Sure. Uh, I think I gained, like, 70 pounds. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily I was eating a lot or whatever. I just wasn't eating the right things. And then I didn't really understand, like, the importance of exercise. I had a very physical job. Yeah. But, you know, as you know, like, your body gets used to certain movement and certain, you sure. know, physicality of it. So that, you know, like, doesn't count as exercise, right? So I didn't understand, like, that I needed to exercise. But I didn't have any energy. Like, I worked so hard scrubbing floors sure. and toilets. And, you know, all I wanted to do was, like, take a shower and lay down. So needless to say, you know, then I developed gestational diabetes. So... That was like, ugh, you know, um, and then finally, you know, our son came and uh, it was a very, very, uh, I developed postpartum depression, which, you know, you and I have discussed before. And um, I really didn't have any resources. I didn't know who to go to. How was your providers at that time? Like what, like take me back. Um, and I, I have an interesting thing because I, I had an OBGYN, which was very nice. 
um, but informal, to, which is why I switched to a midwife. But I mean, not many people get to experience, like I had my midwife's number in my phone. I can call yeah. her anytime she came to my house. Like that's a big difference. How was the providers like? Like, did you have to find one that, how did you speak? Like, I'm sure over time, of course, you learn English, you're learning the language for sure. You're getting, a, you're adapting. Mm -hmm. But did they give you resources? Like, it's your first child? Yeah, so I had an amazing OBGYN who actually was my doctor for 20 plus years. He developed, he delivered both my kids. Oh, okay. I loved him. He retired <clears throat> two years ago. Uh, but you know what? I come from a society where like mental issues are not talked about okay and it's sort of embarrassing right that's what it's looked like and and you know coming out of the war i was diagnosed with ptsd in germany okay. and i developed an eating disorder so i was seeing a therapist three times a week for six years wow. uh but nobody knew about that yeah. my parents knew yeah. and it was like don't tell anybody like that's embarrassing right yeah, yeah, yeah. so i had this thing in my mind like i can't tell anybody so i didn't tell my provider yeah. he never knew I told him like when I had my second child. So to your point, we like, maybe you that. would have, maybe he would have said, oh, okay, well then you may have postpartum depression after you have your child. He would have 100%. He was wow. amazing, but he didn't know. Yeah. And you know, I've, I think probably through my journey and my experiences, learned to put on a very good game face, oh. right? So like nobody knew, you know, people had no idea that anything was going on with me. Meanwhile, I'm going home and you know, one night, my ex-husband came home and found me standing on the balcony with the baby in my hands, like ready to jump. Like it no. was, it was to that point. Um, I lost weight, and people thought, "Oh, you look great." You know, and I'm always very maybe because I had an eating disorder too. Sure. When people suddenly change in their appearance, I'm always very careful to compliment them. Like I'm gonna ask Good more point. questions. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, what's going on? Like, how are you doing? Like, not yeah. you look great, because then you just validate the fact of whatever is, of whatever is going if on. It's, if it's a nefarious, if negative thing. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So people were complimenting me. Like, you look great. Meanwhile, I'm like size zero, like, yeah. you know, because you're, you're not, not eating. And yeah. I was breastfeeding the baby. And then, you know, he stopped breastfeeding. And because probably, you know, who knows you're not the, getting nutrients. I'm not getting nutrients. And we didn't really have food like that. It was very basic. So, you know, it was it was very, um, very hard time. And, uh, you know, I sort of, you know, as they say, got over it, quote unquote, by talking to my parents. Like my dad was um, very close. We were very close. He was amazing. He was kind of like my conciliary. Uh, so, you know, I eventually confided in him. And he was actually the one who said, you need to ask for help. Yeah. You know, and I was like, well, you know, he's like, does your husband know? And I'm like, well, outside of finding me on the balcony one night, like, he probably knows now, you know, like, but like, he was young. Sure. But we're kids. We're a kid. Like, yeah. we're not equipped and to deal with this. And who knows his own, I'm sure, thinking back, and not that he, um, I mean, he didn't birth the child and go through the hormonal aspect, but there are studies out there that have shown men can get um, postpartum depression as well. They can have that aspect. So to your point, he's trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure it out. Right, right. Yeah, and yeah. we're, you know, kind of trying to survive. And, you know, and my son was not the easiest baby. And I mean, you know, I shouldn't say that. All the babies are, you know, they're babies. That's what they're supposed to do, you know. But it's just adding to. But, you know, it added to that, yeah. you know, all of that. Uh, he cried 24-7. He was colicky. He was, God. you know, I didn't know. Like, I have this picture of my ex-husband holding him he was we were just out of the hospital maybe a couple days and the sheer panic on his face 
and my son's mouth is as open as can be. Like you can't see screaming. his face, just an open <laughs> mouth because he's screaming. And Dan holding him up, like looking at me, like I don't, and I snap, I don't even know why in the moment I thought I would snap a picture because this was before phones. So it was a lot of trouble to go get the camera sure, to sure, snap sure. a picture. But I'm so glad I have that. And every time I see it, it makes me laugh, but it's all, it also makes me want to cry because like his face tells me everything I need to know about our life at that moment. And I didn't see it in my partner because I was worried about myself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure because you're, and that's why to your point, you're looking back now, you can look at me like, oh shit, it was, it was there yeah, to some degree. It was there. Now talk a little bit about your parents and what that was like because they were so far away and you're navigating through this. You and your husband are still a newlywed couple. To your point, yes, you might've shared this bond of what you went through, but you're still a newlywed couple that Correct. is supposed to be arguably your honeymoon phase or whatever, and not having to figure out life <laughs> in a new country and then eventually with a newborn. So talk a little bit about your parents um, and what that was like. Did your mother and father eventually come? How did you see them? Like, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. so my parents never came. My parents have wow. lived in Germany since uh, early 90s, so mid 90s. Uh, my dad passed away in 2014. Um, so thank you. And, uh, you know, in Germany, uh, but you know, we had this bond, like, you know, especially my dad and I, my parents are great parents and, uh, I grew up in this big family. And so like, there was always that, like, you know, I always tell people, they're like, how's your family? I'm like, we're all in each other's business, like all the time. Right. So like, I talked to my parents every day yeah. and that was at a time where, you know, long distance calls were expensive, right? Yeah. At that time they were so expensive. And I certainly had no money to spare for that. Yeah. But, you know, uh, it was, I think it was so essential to me to be on that phone and speak to them. Hear their voice. Hear that their voice. I would rather like not have had food if it came down between like me not buying food and paying right. that phone bill, I would have paid that phone bill. Because like, that was my lifeline, like quite literally, no pun intended. Like I would pick up the phone and sometimes I would call three times a day. And just to hear my parents' voice, because you know that was it was a whole other traumatizing thing for me yeah. to have to leave them. You know, people don't understand. Like, I think it's a cultural thing too. Yeah. Um, you know, I look at kids now, and they're like, "Okay, bye, mom, bye, dad." And I'm like, to me, it was extremely traumatizing, and it was also because under the circumstances, sure. like you're forced. I, it wasn't a chosen thing. Let me go. <laughs> it was forced, uh, but also because these two people were the two like the constant in my life. We went through this crazy traumatizing thing of having, my parents left everything they worked for their whole lives and ran with not even a suitcase. We were not even yeah. to grab, like had time to grab a suitcase. We just ran with our lives, right? And like, I've always had such an admiration for them. They just sure. kind of picked up this refugee life and tried to make it normal for me. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time. I know it now, right? Over sure. the years, I've realized what they did for me. Of course, the sacrifice and what that was like, yeah, like the amount of love, like you said, that admiration that even I, you probably not even maybe even to you understanding, like, look, if I think I have it bad, mm -hmm. imagine how they also had it bad of having to just leave everything, everything. and then figure out how they're going to become refugees and navigate through this life and make it normal for my child. Yeah. yeah like I, that's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And they did such a good job. Yeah. I know that now, right? Yeah. Um, that, you know, through their own trauma, yeah. um, really normalized things for me. And, yeah. 
you know, I went back to school and it was like, you know, go back on a, like, you know, a class trip and they found somehow money to pay for it. And yeah, it's just like, you know, amazing. So, you know, these two people were essential in my life. So like, no matter what, I was going to talk to them every day. Uh, And I did. And I think that really got me through like most of my, you know, the hardest days. But also, you know, I, because I think I grew up in such a big family, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a component to where you develop certain social skills when you grow up with so many people around. And so it has never been hard for me to talk to people and strike up relationships. <laughs> you know, I could walk into a room full of strangers and I'll have three friends by the time I leave, yeah. you know? And so that was really crucial at the time. Um, and I didn't ask for help. Again, nobody knew what I was going through. Sure. Uh, but just having those connections where, you know, I would go in the office at the, the, the apartment complex where I worked and all women, uh, the property manager was a woman, the leasing agents were women, and then myself. And we would have like this powwow where we would just talk about, mostly they talked about like whatever they had going on, right? But it gave me some sort of a strength to have that village, those those people, those women. And again, I didn't share my problems. Yeah, they don't know what's going on. They have no idea. They have no idea, right? They think, oh, it's some random foreign girl cleaning (laughs) the apartments, right? And she's nice and whatever, you know. But they had no idea what was going on. But it still gave me strength to be sure. amongst them because you felt like you belonged. And community. at the end of the day, we all want to belong. We want to be part of the community. For sure. And that in itself was like huge. And then, you know, it's funny, like I always say, like there's, you know, like you have Little Italy in New York and Chinatown. And so we all immigrants, meaning we immigrants, will go where our people are. Yeah. So this apartment complex probably had like 50% of people that lived were from, were from Bosnia. Oh, that's awesome. So when I became pregnant, I would have all these like older women flagging me down all over the place. You know, when I started showing to come eat something, to come sit down, to have a drink, to uh, like the whole community came together to take care of me. And, you know, I made some really great friendships that lasted a long time and some of them still today. I was going to ask, like, how was that, you know, like who has still stayed in your life from that time? And if also if you'd speak, when when was the time where you and your husband realized? Because, of course, this has like you said, you went from janitor to now, you know, you're in retail property, you know, and all these things. So you've you've moved up in your corporate career. Did you end up going back to school, too? To get a degree, or did um, you stay? I did not go back to school. Okay. I aspired to go back and get my master's degree, mm-hmm. uh, and it just never really happened. Sure, you know, sure. obviously, you know, I realized I'm going to need money for this, <laughs> yes. and I really didn't know what resources I had at the sure. time. I had no idea that like student loans existed and any yeah, of that, right? Of course. And then I fell into my career, which you know took a lot of my time. So, yeah. So talk about so talk about that. Talk about how you know who do you still keep in touch with from that time. And then what was that evolution like? Because there obviously is that hump, that very, very large hump that you got over. Um, the resource of not even speaking on, you know, you're suffering in silence, basically, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then you have your marriage here that's also not getting the attention. But like to your point, he's figuring out, you're figuring out, but you're figuring it out this way. Yep. What was that like? And then when was that turning point that number one, you guys were doing better, but then you and him kind of went your separate ways. How was that? What was that journey like? So let me talk a little bit about people I still keep in touch with, and then we'll get to yeah, the marriage. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I feel like I have kept in touch with 
a lot of people from like almost every like segment of my life if that makes sense right mm -hmm. and so like when i look back at this particular time and i was working at this apartment complex uh, there was this leasing agent she was italian and um we just made this connection, right? Everybody was super nice to me, uh, but her and I had this deeper connection. Um, she ended up getting married in a church. And so, you know, I was raised Muslim. Um, and so she invited me to come to church and I went and, um, you know, her whole Italian family was there. And it was just such an experience. I loved it, you know, and the priest came up and talked to me. Again, misconceptions, like he was amazed that I was a Muslim in church. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like there's a Catholic church literally across the street from my house where I grew up. And I was there for every midnight mass for Christmas oh, with my wow. friends, because I come from a very diverse yeah. city in Bosnia. And so like, to me, that was no big deal. Like I had bruises on my knees from the pews since I was three, wow. you know? So like, it was just, a learning in itself, right? But I keep, I still keep in touch with her. Wow. Uh, and her kids are now off into college. You know, her son who she got pregnant with that year, wow. remember very vividly, uh, is now in the Marines, he's 22. So just, you know, mm -hmm. and then a guy who was um, my supervisor, uh, I, I keep touch with him, in touch with him. So, you know, again, and I, these people are just delighted yeah. uh, at my success. And, you know, and that's when you know you have the right people in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, when they will keep, they're the same people. They treat me the same sure. now that they did back then. Like there's no change, right? Um, and then uh, when I went to work at Burdine, so now fast forward, you know, I kind of thought I had like hit like a glass ceiling in this job. I'm like, okay, I don't want to be like a janitor forever. There's just nothing wrong with that, you sure, know. But you, but I like aspired. I'm like, I can do sure. better and I can do more. And so let me. So I'm like, let me um, go to the mall. And I had met this girl, um, and she said, you know, my mom works at Dillard's and she makes a killing on commission. And I'm like, okay. So I go apply at Burdines and Dillard's. And Burdines was like, can you stay for an interview? Like right away, right? And I'm like, you know, nodding most, I, I don't know how much I'm understanding. Yeah, yeah, I think they're I, asking yeah, me to yeah, stay, yeah, but I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to get through this, right? Sure. And the interview, they hired me on spot. I will never know why they hired me because I barely got through that interview, right? Wow. But that lady that hired me was like, I see something in you. Like, I'll, I'll teach you. And I'm like, okay. So I ended up working there. And um, it's funny, like, I found a whole community of people there. Uh, and I, some of my best friends over the past 22 years came from this this very store where I was first hired. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, there's a person, her name is Margaret. She's also a fellow podcaster. Um, she retired from ACs and started a podcast. Uh, we have been friends. Uh, she's, she's hired me. She's the one who interviewed me. She was the second interview because she was a senior manager. And she hired me and you know we still laugh about it she's like i had no idea what you were saying but you were just so cute i just hired you <laughs> and i'm like well good i'm glad you know you hired me for my cuteness um but you know she's actually the one I, the reason i brought her up because she kind of ties into that whole marriage thing so you know she was um divorced and you know had a long time partner at that point sure. and so her and i went to dinner one night and you know she's one of those people who is very subtle so she didn't say what's going on with you. I'm worried about you. Nothing. But she just ordered us a drink and she just sat next to me waiting for me to say something. Right. And I looked at her and I said, so when do you know, like your marriage is over? Like, how do you know? And at like, this point, how many years divorced? and how old is your son? Like, so my son is like six at this time. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. 
and I'm already in management at Burdines, and you know, this person has been my mentor sure. since I was hired and kind of looked after me, right? So we developed this friendship. So we're at VUCA having a drink. And she looks at me and she goes, you just know. And I said, but how? Like, when is that? Like, I, I feel like I'm suffocating and I don't know, like, how do I quit? Like, when is the time? And she said, one day you're going to get up and you're just going to know that's the day. And so I spent next two years waiting for that day. Like, I trusted her so much. I didn't question it. Yeah. I said, one day I'll know, right? Meanwhile, my marriage was just more and more. And, you know, it's funny. People always say, like, we didn't see it coming. Because it wasn't, like, violent. There were no fights. There were no... It just, like... You were friends. Like, it was, it was just... We just kind of grew apart. And we yeah. just kind of, like, you know... I mean, we were kids when we came together. For sure. And by the time this we got divorced, we were 30. And a, a plenty of time passed. And I realized, like, I carved out this career for myself and you know I knew what I wanted you know I always he always used to make fun of me when we were kids we would talk about like you know and the other girls were like oh I'm gonna get married I'm gonna have kids I'm like I'm gonna be a doctor and I'm gonna you know because that was my dream is to be a doctor oh, to wow. go to medical school and work yeah. with doctors without borders like that I always wanted to do that like I never really aspired to be married or have kids not that you know yeah that was I love all of that yes. for me it was a great journey but you know, that wasn't necessarily so like when I had that opportunity to jump into a different career, but still kind of have that, you know, career sure. aspect, like that was it, I took off. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of left him in the dust a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was maybe selfish for me at the time. But like, that's what I always wanted to do. You know, and I wanted to craving. be independent. And now you're at a time you wanted to be independent. And now you're at a time in your career, you're going through something or went through something. And now you're like, wait, now I can this could be something for me, basically. Yes. If it's not going to be exactly what I had visioned younger, but now I see, I see like a rainbow that this is, it's it's glistening or gold that it's like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, I yeah. completely understand. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just kind of wanted to go yeah. and he didn't understand. He was like, I don't understand what's wrong with your job. Just, he's very like, I'm good where I am type person. Mm -hmm. Again, nothing wrong with that, but sure. we figured out we were two completely different people. And he wasn't going to accept that I'm going to be whoever I'm going to be and not going to be at home, traditional cooking, yeah. cleaning, which I was doing all of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's this career aspect that was taking me out of the house a lot. Yeah. And so uh, it just came to an end. I woke up one day and I, just like Margaret said, you knew. I knew today's the day. Like, I'm done. And... Um, I, I, you know, and it's, it was such a hard time. Like any time a marriage falls apart, whether it was ugly or you know, it's hard. No matter, no matter. I think it's a what it is, grieving process. It's a grieving process, and I think for us, for me, it was especially so. And you know, uh, people don't understand like that. Haven't been through. They're like, but you left him. Like, why were you sad? It doesn't matter. Like I left because I knew I had to get out because it was like my soul was going to shrivel up and die on the inside. And a part of you is actually leaving. A part of you is being left behind that you both experienced together. Right. Yeah. Um, so that day I got up and I was like, today's the day. And I had no fear. I had no regret. I just knew like this is what I had to do. Like this is it. And I drove down the road to an apartment complex and I walked in and I said, I need an apartment. And the guy looked at me. He's like, like when? I'm like, today. And he was like, uh, that's not how this works. I'm like, no, I understand. <laughs> but I need an apartment. I said, you know, I just need to get out of a situation. 
and he kind of looked at me, didn't ask any questions. And again, it wasn't violent. It wasn't sure, like, you know, I could have gone back home and waited a month, but I just needed to get out. Yeah, That was it. I was done. Yeah. And I was afraid if I went back, I wouldn't go through I was through just going to say it. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, well, we have an apartment. wasn't painted. I'm like, doesn't matter. <laughs> he gave me the keys. I gave him the deposit. He gave me the keys. My father gave me the money for the deposit. Wow. And it's funny because, you know, I come from a culture where divorce is sort of frowned upon. Like, you don't get divorced. You're married, and then you're married, and you figure it out. And I grew up seeing so many bad marriages. Yeah. And people stuck. After their kids leave, you're stuck with that person and you don't like them, but you're stuck, right? Because you're already, like, you know, at an age, like, where are you going to go? Especially, you know, I always say, like, gosh, I remember my mom being my age 44. Yeah. And she looked so old to me. Like, <laughs> you know, women were just, it was a different time. It was time. just different, yes. And so, you know, I always knew, like, if this is not working, I got to get out. So I called my dad and I said, I, you know, I, I need to get out. And again, it's testimony to my parents. Some parents would have said, I told you so, because my parents were not fans of this union from the beginning. And they very subtly let me know on certain occasions. But, you know, again, they always let me do my thing. My parents were very big on, you know, raise your child right, provide them with an education, and hopefully they'll make the right decisions. And if they don't, then they're going to learn from it. Yeah, and And so there you help you do what you can. Yeah, you guide, but, you know, my mom always said, like, when I asked her, I said, you know, I wish you had, like, tied me up and not let me go and put me in a room somewhere. She's like, yeah, so you can hate me for the rest of your life. She's like, you had to go through that journey to understand that that journey was not for you. 100%. No matter what I had done, you, you would have just blamed me, and that would have been the end of that. And so, you know, I understand that now, but they never said, we told you so. They never said, oh no, we don't do that. They just said, is that really what you want? Yes. Did you really think through this? Yeah, I've been thinking through this for past five years. And my dad said, fine, I'm going to wire you the money for the deposit for the apartment. And that was it. I took my dog, I took my son, a little bit of clothes, and I moved into an apartment. It was nothing, nothing. I didn't take anything, not even a chair. And I felt so free. And, you know, it breaks my heart to say that because this is the person that I left everything for and with mm-hmm. to come to a new life, to sure. a new country. And it was so disappointing that it came to this. And I sure. fell into such a bad depression after that. Um, and again, you know, you're spit on a brave face, you go to work every day. And, you know, uh, people didn't know, again, what was going on, you know. And then I confined it eventually into uh, one boss who I was very close with. And she said, gosh, like, I knew something was up because, yeah. you know, you, like, uh, the minute I'm stressed, I lose weight. Like, that's just, that's yeah. a, you know, telltale <laughs> something is up, right? And she said, gosh, I, like, you've lost so much weight. I meant to ask you. And she's like, why didn't you tell me? And I said, oh, you know, like, who wants to listen to other people's problems? Like, you know, I just move on. And, you know, I said, but I just, I can't. Like, I have to tell somebody. And, you know, this woman was so gracious to me and, um, you know, again, took such good care of me. She started bringing me, like, little care packages and food because I would just work, 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 work all day long and not stop to eat, yeah. uh, partially because now I was, like, one income and really didn't have money to buy myself lunch. Cause, sure. You know, then, you know, it ended up being, like, I'm not paying for daycare. You pay for it. You want to leave, you pay for everything, you know. So I was paying for daycare, for car, for everything, you know. So there wasn't much left. So, you know, she started bringing me, like, you know, Starbucks coffee in the morning, a biscotti, mac and cheese, and... Uh, you know, it's talking about the village and people, you know, so many people will pop up in your life. Uh, at the time. At that the they time that you need them. 
you know, you just kind of have to trust it. You do. And I think that's the beauty of life of like even hearing your journey. It sounds like throughout your life, you have been connected with people and somehow, some way or another, they've been there um, and help have helped you. Um, and I always find that so beautiful. It took me a, a, not a long time to realize that, but just through my own journey of things of understanding and really appreciating every single person I meet every single person I meet. And ever since I started doing that and really welcoming that, um, the transformation has been amazing of what I've, and I don't wanna say gained, but what has come from that connection or that meeting. Um, and to your point of just being nice to someone and not knowing where that will carry you. Um, so that's, that's so amazing that you've always kind of had someone that's kind of come in and been like your little guardian angel at that moment, like, okay, I'm going to take care of you right now. Yeah. You're not telling me what's going, you know, completely not knowing what's going on. You know, they're true, true, but helping you in some way. Um, and when you were speaking of the divorce, I, um, I've been divorced. I, I married young and it just took me back to my parents because my parents were also not very fond. Um, and we ended up eloping which i think was probably like the worst thing i think i did as a as a daughter my mother was devastated that you know we eloped um and of course they were right a few years later we were how parents know right <laughs> um but i had known him for so long i had known him since i was 15 16. um so to your point it's like i think yeah it, there's a grieving process like you're frustrated you're mad it's a, especially when you've been to, I mean, we didn't go through anything traumatic as you and your husband or from that. And that's a whole different thing. But from 15 for me till I think we were divorced by 24. So like a 10 year period. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you go through everything. It's like the whole cycle. I was upset. I was angry. I was sad. I was happy. I was free. I was excited. Um, so yeah. And tell me how did that with your son? So how did that impact your motherhood journey now coming from, like you were saying, um, you know, now things are on you, but to go from a two parent household to now you're a single mom. That was really a huge adjustment because I went from, uh, you know, having his grandmother living with us. So she had gone back to Bosnia four or five months prior to us divorcing. Uh, not only did I lose uh, my husband, my household, we had bought a house a couple years prior to that. Uh, I lost his family, particularly his, right? Or so I thought. She came back later into my life. Um, you know, it was like this village of people that were part of my life, not yeah. just him, his brother, his sister, you know, was kind of like, everybody was at a standoff. Like, what do we do? Do we still talk to her? Do we not talk to her? You know, whose side do we take? Friends, like he got all the friends into the divorce because I left and I was the bad guy. So yeah. all our friends were now his friends. I had no friends. Um, and then just from a logistical standpoint of, I think he had to come around for a second to kind of process the pain that my wife left me, Sure, you know, and his own anger and ego, and his own anger and ego and all of that, yes. Yes. It, a lot happened there to kind of come back around to say, but I'm still a father to my son and I have to take care of him. So it was a period where I was doing everything, yeah. dropping off, picking up. Our son was still young. He was seven. And so, you know, he was in aftercare, before care, and all of that. And, you know, I, again, had a very high demanding job. So, sure. you know, again. Survival mode. You're doing it. I'm doing it. People are in my life that are letting me do yeah. things that, you know, you normally maybe wouldn't do, like 
leave and take like a two hour lunch yeah. to go pick him up and bring him back to work with me and put him in my office so sure. I can finish a project I was working on. Which back then was completely now. It's a little more, that was unheard of. Unheard of, unheard of. But I had an amazing boss who went through a lot in her life at the time, the mac and cheese Starbucks person that um, she, uh, through circumstances, she ended up raising her sister's two children, um, her sister passed in a car accident. And so this was a person who's been through a lot in her sure, own life. So she, and so she <clears throat> understood and knew and never questioned, um, you know, but I was a hard worker. I brought, I brought 150 every day. Like it, nobody, like based on my performance, yeah. nobody would have, I feel like I worked harder when I was going through hard times because that was sort of my outlet, mm. you know? So, you know, some people, like I've been a boss to people and you can tell people, you know, sure. a, a difference in their performance and you go, what's going on? And they'll, dump on you and tell you and you're like oh sure. my gosh you know I was now I'm completely opposite yeah. you know something goes in my life wrong like I throw myself in my work and it's funny like in that time and I was going through the divorce I got promoted three times wow. where usually people retreat but again that's your survival instinct you move forward you, yeah. you have no choice you're not going to retreat you're not going to go on a ball you have to move forward yep. so I want to talk um, as we're winding down here let's fast forward to now you have your nine-year-old and I know you remarried. Um, if you can high level, talk to me, what has that been like for you to kind of do it again? Yeah. And uh, kind of the things you've learned <laughs> and where you are now and we'll kind of end there with that. I think, you know, the second time around, hopefully you're a wiser, right? And I, I definitely think I, I am. Uh, and you're very conscious of mistakes you've made in the past. Uh, because, you know, divorce takes two people. And I think that was my biggest takeaway was like, you know, oh, that wasn't all his fault, right? Yep. And so, like, what can I do differently this time around to not get divorced again? Like, I can't control what he's doing, but I can certainly control what I'm doing. And there's a lot I can do different, right? Yes. And so striking a better balance, which is partially why I left retail, uh, because I needed more equilibrium in my life. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that high powered retail job was 70 hours a week, no weekends. Yeah. You know, I worked every weekend, I worked every holiday. And you know, at some point that started taking toll on this marriage too. And even though he's in retail, he was like, come on, are we doing this again? Like you're working again? Yeah. Uh, and that was a little bit self-inflicted. Like nobody was making me go to work, Sure. you know, but because of my dedication, I'm like, yeah, but I have this project I gotta do. I'm gonna go in on a Saturday for like four hours. He's like, well, but we had XYZ planned, right? Yeah. So I kind of had to step back and say, here I am again chasing my same career, habits, same things, yes, right, same habits, but I knew enough to stop myself and say, okay, wait a minute, mm -hmm. you know, instead of getting angry at him for not understanding, mm -hmm. but saying like, okay, I have a part in this, you yeah. know, and being able to communicate. I think the biggest thing that's different for me the second time around is the communication piece. Being an open book, and I think as I got older, I would say, you know, you can see from this conversation, I'm, I'm very open, I'm a very open book, and I've learned that I have to be that with my partner. Sure. Like, I have to raise my hand, I have to say, hey, I'm wrong, or hey, I need help, or hey, I don't understand. And that is so hard for people, yes. but it is such an important, crucial thing to staying married, quite frankly, I think. And so, you know, that's what I think is the biggest difference, which prompted me to change my careers. Um, and relocate for this new job yeah. to achieve better balance, uh, which I have, and I'm very happy. That's amazing. As we, you know, it's such such an intriguing story, and I thank you so much for being so open. Um, but I think this is something that can help a lot of people that have listened or watched. 
do you have any other final thoughts? Um, and can people connect with you? Do you want maybe connect on LinkedIn? I don't know how you want to do that. Cause I know, you know, you're not the typical guest that I have this like an entrepreneur, someone that comes on, they're like, come to me. So I don't know how you want to share that, but, and any other final thoughts that you want to kind of put out to the podcast community? Yeah. So yeah, I would love to, you know, if anybody wants to connect, um, I, my email is, uh, melissa.vicker at simon.com. Um, I work for Simon Property Group, so that's my work email. Uh, but um, yeah, I would say, as for, okay, just taking with the, the, the topic moms and motherhood, um, I would just say to any new mom or any mom out there, because you know, just, not just new moms go sure. through hardship. You know, ch things change in your life, and yes. whether you have a new job or you have a new partner, and you have you move or whatever, you know, we grow, things change. Uh, you can come up against something. I think the biggest thing is to ask for help. Um, and I think you mentioned it earlier and, you know, I never really thought about it, but these, all these people that were in my life, like I raised two children and built a whole life without any family or help from family, but help from other people that came into my life that became like family. Yeah. And, you know, so help can come from anywhere. Uh, it doesn't have to be our family and just please don't be afraid to ask for help and, uh, raise a hand, whether it's to your partner, to whomever, whoever is in your village. Yeah. Uh, if something is not going right, speak up. Oh, thank you. Thank so. you so much, Melissa, for coming on, for sharing your story, and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.